I can't really sing. <laughs> la 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 Yeah. Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Sports Blog New York podcast. I am your host, and my name is Peter Kennedy. Today on the bill, we are going to be going deep into the MVP debate that has been going on more intensely than ever since Kawhi Leonard's impressive performance against another MVP candidate, James Harden. And obviously we'll get into Russell Westbrook and LeBron James and where they fit in that discussion as well. But first off, I want to remind you that this is going to be your last chance to enter for a chance to win a Jerry Rice signed Super Bowl Twenty Three autographed picture. That is compliments of JM Man Cave Sports. You can follow them on Instagram at JM Man Cave Sports. And all you have to do to enter, to enter to, for a chance to win is retweet this podcast on Twitter at SportBlogNYC. Again, retweet this podcast and you have a chance to win a free autographed Jerry Rice Super Bowl Twenty Three MVP picture. Now, later in the week, actually tomorrow, we'll be coming out with a mock draft podcast where we're going to be getting very deep into what the Jets should do, what the Giants should do, what the first round's going to look like, and of course, the most interesting quarterback, the quarterback debacle, whatever you want to call it, Mitch Trubisky, Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Kaiser, what's going down with these quarterbacks. Now you got Kirk Cousins on the move. A lot is going to go down, and we're going to break it down on the podcast tomorrow, so stay tuned for that. But I want to talk about the Knicks point guard situation for the past 10 years. The Ringer came out with this great article ranking the 10 best point guards of the Knicks' recent history. It's kind of hilarious. But before we talk about that, I want to welcome in some guests. You heard him last week back on the pod. We got Joe Calabrese. How you doing? What's up? What's up? I'm back. The Knicks, not back. Point guards, definitely not back. Me, I'm back. I'm always going to be back. You can't get rid of me. You think Chase and Randall could crack the list yet? Uh, he played one game. Looks like it. <laughs> <laughs> he might crack the top 15, to be honest. And then off in the corner, you heard him. There he is again. Remember two weeks ago, he said, eh, we'll see. Maybe I'll come back on the pot again. And now he's back for his third week in the row. Founder of Sportsblog New York, Phil DeMeo. How you doing? Um, thank you for having me again in my house. Uh, appreciate it. <laughs> uh, we're having fun today. We have, uh, we have good things on the list. This is a good thing that's going to happen to me every week. I said the same thing to Alec on uh, our Monday morning episode, and he, he called me out at his house. You know, it is what it is. Thank you for having me, and I'll thank you for coming on. Of course. Thank you, Pete. <laughs> and last but not least, we got Joe Style back, back on the podcast as well. What's up, man? How's it going? I'm having a good time looking at this uh, Knicks list as the uh, resident Knicks hater of this blog. Um, I'm loving this. Yeah, and if you don't remember, uh, Joe is a Nets fan, so obviously any chance he can get to give a little jab at the Knicks and Knicks fans, he's going to step in right in on do that. He's all the material right here in my uh, hand. And I get many chances to do that to the Knicks. And they, this is one of the best chances. They provide so much content for me to just hate on them. So let's get into this list. Uh, obviously, you know we may have talked about it a little bit beforehand, but who did you think was going to be the best point guard of the Knicks' recent history before we talked about the list? I'll open it up to you first, Phil. I mean, I, you really can't think of one off the top of your head, can you? I, d- I did not know. You haven't had a franchise point guard I mean, since Starks. So, yes. So there really hasn't been anything. The first person on the list, I, I mean, I guess it is. It's Starks on Marbury. Can't argue against it when you look at the rest of the list. He was by far the most by talented, the and he had the best numbers. When I say we agree with number two, but number two, they have Jeremy Lin from February 4th to February 23rd. 19 days was number two. 
I understand. I understand. That's the next in a sentence. Our second best point guard in the last ten years played for nineteen games. Nineteen days, days, nineteen games. Granted, he was damn good for those he was couple awesome. weeks. He was fantastic. But in retrospect, is that your number two point guard in ten years for any franchise? Try to argue against it. Who was better than Jeremy Lin for those two weeks? And that's the that's the main I, point. I, no, I'm not disagreeing. I'm just oh saying yeah, it's of amazing. course. It's mind blowing. And it's the main point of the article. I mean. Uh, the man on the on the ringer was it Chase Serrano who wrote the article or was it, it was. Jason Concepcion? I forget off the top of my head. I'll give you one second. But the the you uh, know hey, person Jason Concepcion. Yeah. So Jason Concepcion on the ringer wrote the article, and as you read it, you can tell that it's kind of satirical. But he's clearly a Knicks fan, so he opens the article about talking about Malcolm Brogdon, a rookie point guard for the Bucks, who's not even a true point guard. He said he saw him drive baseline, simply fend off the defender, get an easy dish to John Henson for a open dunk and he said why was i so impressed by that i shouldn't be impressed but then he remembered that he's a knicks fan and he hasn't seen a quarterback a quarterback basically a quarterback a point guard play that well in some time so he went on and made a list and on top of the list was stefan marbury as you heard we'll just rattle the rest of the list here yeah let's um, go through it marbury number two lynn from february 4th february 23rd number three old jason kid me in retirement Four, Raymond Felton. Five, Mr. Pablo Prigioni. Number six, we have a uh, Raymond Felton comeback. Seven, I don't know, dot, 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 Derek Rose, question mark. Very confident in that. Number eight, Chris Duhon. Uh, number nine, I think he should be higher, as Mr. Nate Robinson. He had some good years with us. We're a fan of Nate Robinson on this podcast. And then it's number ten fan. is Ron Baker with a question mark. So those are your top ten. Now, now, Joe Cal, I'm going to go over to you real quick because you've been chuckling over here on the sure. side. And sure. I want to ask you first about Ron Baker, right? So Ron Baker, the shot maker. He's great. Ron Baker, shot maker, is number 10 on the list of point guards for the Knicks in recent Absolutely. history. Yes. He's played, what, half a season, if that, because he didn't even play for the first half of so far this season? Do you think he actually deserves to be on the spot? Like, who else could fill that spot? I, um, you know, I'm going back through my. The, the point guard list now in my head, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, who else can we actually put on there? I mean, to be honest, the only other name that I brought up before we started was Chauncey Billups and how many games the Billups play. You know, he played that Not short stretch of games <laughs> after the trade deadline when we got uh, Carmelo that year, and then they proceeded to get bounced in the, the opening round. So he wasn't even here long enough to maybe even make the list. That's how much of a joke this is. But I'm a huge Ron Baker guy. Big fan. How can you not be a big Ron Baker guy? I'm a huge Ron Baker guy. Here on our website, we actually have a list of the last 10 years. Oh, we think Jose Calderon, he's not really no way. Horrible. No way. Ron Baker's better than him. Lansing Galloway? Galloway's a good one. Galloway, he wasn't here long enough. He could have cracked the list for Chris Duhon, but Chris Duhon's definitely funnier, so I understand why Concepcion (laughs) went that route. Because who... I'm a huge Knicks fan. I I can't even picture Chris Duhon... In Jersey. I can hardly picture him. That's how irrelevant he was as a point guard in New York. Um, Bino Udry? Udry? Absolutely, absolutely oh, not. Yeah, I'll take Ron Baker again. <laughs> um, Baron Davis. What? Didn't play long enough. Got hurt. I mean, he had that brutal leg injury, right? That was with the Knicks. Uh, yeah, that's a Chauncey Billup situation. Tony Chuckless? <laughs> Tony Douglas. Tone, T-O, T-O-N-E-Y Douglas. Yeah, Tony Tone Douglas. I'll take Ron Baker again. Uh, Mike Bibby. You know what? We had Mike Bibby. Was, <laughs> yep. <laughs> exactly. Me and Alec had a conversation on Monday about the most forgettable Knicks, and that was who he brought up. 
Not a forgettable NBA player, but most definitely a forgettable Then Nick. I will round it up. Sergio Rodriguez with a dud. And he doesn't Jamal Crawford. On the, I mean, we could agree Jamal Crawford wasn't a point guard. He's definitely not a true point. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, Shane Larkin. forgot about him? I'll take Ron Baker. Yep. Yes. <laughs> Jerry and Grant? I'll and take Ron Baker. I don't think Jerry and Grant played enough. Yeah. I think the moral, the, story, the moral of the story is he, that Ron Baker should move up the list. Is it the, Absolutely. <laughs> he's a burning dumpster of point guards. Hopefully, he changes the next... Five months, so. And we'll have a real chance, uh, you know, free agency or the draft. Now, uh, Joe Stileback, before we move on from, from this conversation, I need to give you your chance to reflect on this list. Because what we just said. <laughs> you're the token not-Knicks fan here. Uh, so w- what's your thoughts on this? I just find it hilarious, especially that Jason Kidd, who played one season with the Knicks, and who for a decade just destroyed the Knicks when he was with the Nets, when the Nets were actually good. I mean, he was something like 50, 60 games over 500 against the Knicks. Swept him a couple times in the playoffs, and he's number three on the Knicks point guard list in the last <laughs> ten years. It brings a huge smile to my face. And the guy who's number one had his best years also the on, on the Nets. And I mean, also at the end of this article, they actually have a list of the rest of Atlantic Division teams and their three best point guards in that same time frame. And you have names like Kyle Lowry with the Raptors, and the Celtics, Rondo, Isaiah Thomas, Avery Bradley, Sixers, Drew Holiday, Andre Miller, Nets, Deron Williams, Jason Kidd in his prime, Devin Harris. So, I mean, the Knicks having Jason, um, Jason Kidd third and then Jeremy Lin for 19 days. I mean, it's always been a laying problem for us, but now when you look at the paper and look at the list, you're like, wow, this isn't... The problem doesn't like give it enough. It's not a, on. It's it not a new problem. Yeah. It's not a new problem by no. any means. Every year, it's the same thing. The Knicks need a point guard. The Knicks need a point guard. The Knicks need a point guard, and they, it just they, hasn't gotten addressed for a decade. They fill it in with these these guys on on his list, and here we are. And now, granted, this is a topic for another podcast, but clearly, Derrick Rose can still play the game. Like his athletic ability is not his problem this year. I think that's pretty agreeable um, across anybody who watches the Knicks. But he has. Huge defensive struggles. He doesn't move the ball willingly, and he has a lot of other problems. So, I mean, granted, he can still play the game. He's just not playing it right for what the Knicks need. How about not going to a game? How about that? Uh, well, I don't even want to talk about that. <laughs> so we're going to move on from that, but uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed that little Knicks list there, and we're going to get deep into the MVP debate in a little while. But first, let's get into a little baseball. One of our, one of my favorite guys, I say our, I feel like I can speak oh, for yeah. everybody here. Who doesn't love Thor? Who doesn't love Noah Syndergaard? Um, so he has a little contract situation going on. I'm going to let Joe describe it a little bit further in a second. But basically, he asked for a measly $9,000. He's only making just over six hundred k. Poor guy. And the Mets couldn't give it to him. Joe, elaborate on this weird situation. And that's one of the things I want to elaborate on, Pete, because you say a measly $9,000, and outsiders would say the same thing. What's that to New York Mets? But it's the whole precedent. Uh, Jacob deGrom last year actually asked for the same thing. He wanted a little bit of a raise. The Mets denied him as well. They, listen, they didn't give it to Matt Harvey. They didn't give it to Jason, Jacob deGrom. So you can't give it to Noah Syndergaard. You have to set the same precedent, precedent with all the three pitchers. And I'm sure Matt's is going to want the same thing when he's eligible. But the thing is, you can't just give it to one guy and then one guy doesn't get it. Because then when it comes down to them being a free agent, Harvey's going to look at, oh, they gave deGrom the money. They gave Syndergaard the money. They didn't give me the money. I'm leaving here. Same thing with deGrom and Syndergaard. So... It sets a precedent for everyone else, and it's just basically it's equal opportunity. And it's for the rest of the league as well. The whole league is looking at this. Well, if the Mets are going to throw money, then my guy is going to ask for the money. So it goes not just with the Mets, but it's a whole league thing as well. You know what? I didn't expect you to really go in that direction. You, you, you may have swayed me real quick with that because, you know, it may be $9,000 this year, 
But then next year, Stephen Mass, hey, could I have $25,000? And then the year after that, Gesellman's, could I have fifty? You know exactly. what I mean? Exactly. Then you're going to have all these kids coming up from the minors. Oh, I want to get my, where, can I get a million? Can I get a million and a half? You know, it's, it's going to be all that. So you stay on this. You know, they have the arbitration scales after this. So you're just on that steady pace with the, what the contract details are. And you just follow that. And the Mets have been strict to it. And I think that's the best thing for them is to stay on that path. That was a really good point. And that's what we do here on the Sports Blog New York Podcast. And I forgot to say this early in the show, so I'm going to say it now. Please go to iTunes and subscribe to our station uh, or channel, which is the Sports Blog New York Podcast channel. And if you like what you hear, please leave a rating and review. Because you know what? We're trying to do some cool stuff here. We really enjoy doing this podcast. We, we love to talk some sports, especially about some good old New York sports. So leave a rating, leave a review, tell us what you think, especially if you like us, because it goes a long way. So thank you for listening, and we'll move on. So Joe Cow, I want to go to you. You agree with uh, Joe Staubach's assessment here? I agree with that. Um, I think the Mets are in a unique situation because not a lot of teams have their quote-unquote problem, and I'm making a sarcastic finger gesture as I'm doing this because I think a lot of teams would love to be in the Mets situation. But again, going back to what he said about setting a precedent, we've seen over the last couple of years how Sandy Alderson and management want this team built. And over the last couple of years, we've finally seen them be able to start to spend the money in places where they haven't necessarily spent the money in the last five years. I mean, it's been pulling teeth to try to get them to to spend money in free agency and spend money to keep their own players. And now they just did this with with Cespedes now that his contract situation uh, came up. So when you look at a guy like Syndergaard, a guy like Harvey, and a guy like DeGrom, they're not being taken care of now. But when you see the contract situation that happened with Cespedes, you know when they should be thinking in the back of their mind, okay, management is going to take care of me once that the opportunity, once that time comes. Once it's the right time. Once it's the right time. Now it's unfortunately we live in a sad world where maybe Harvey has to get Tommy John again, maybe that's it. You know, there are tons of situations like that that could totally happen, that could totally der- derail a player's career. Look at Jacob deGrom last year. He had surgery at the end of last season. But now, I mean, he's coming out guns blazing in spring training, literally. He had, he had what, 97 on the gun the other day? Mm-hmm. So, Which is probably higher than he was throwing last year. If yes, I he was. yes, he was. Yes, he was. He's truthfully looked – he looked really good in that short time frame. So I think those players, like especially the pitchers, yeah, scale back a little bit. I mean, I understand you're worth the money. You deserve the money. But you got to wait your time, you know. It, you have to wait your turn. Yeah, I'm going to piggyback off that. MLPA is one of the strongest unions in all of sports. Arguably the most, the strongest. Definitely. Now, they had the system in place. It's mutually agreed between the league and the union that this is the system they have. So for a syndicate to go like, hey, here's my money, like, that, that's not how it works. And then Curtis Granderson is their National League representative, the whole National League. But you should maybe pull no aside, hey, this isn't how it works. You, you have to wait your turn. Now, when Syndergaard's turn comes up, trust me, that boy's getting paid. So just be patient. Uh, Marvin Miller was the founder of MOPA. So respect, you know, respect history and, and respect wait, the process. Wait really, right? W- wait your turn. Yeah, everything comes back. I'm not saying he's not worth process. it because he is worth the money he's asking for. Obviously, that's just the way MLB works. I mean, that's why they never have any contract disputes since the '90s. Been 20 years of peace. This is the reason why. So he has to learn. You know, same place. That's very fair. And granted, if Noah Syndergaard was happened to be a free agent before this season. He'd probably have a five to seven year contract worth who knows how many millions, but he's only making over six hundred thousand dollars this year. So the average fan might say, "Well, what the hell, Mets? 
you have like so much money. Granted, you had all those scandals back a couple years ago. Years ago, you're still paying Bobby Bonilla. But give the guys nine thousand dollars. That's what the the average fan might say. We just, laid, we just laid it out. That's how yeah. it works. I think you guys just broke it down perfectly. I mean, I got swayed in like thirty <laughs> seconds. So <laughs> hopefully you did too. I mean, the average fan is probably still listening to this. I don't give a hell what the process is. Give Noah Syndergaard nine thousand dollars. Well, you heard it here first. That's not how it works. So get over yourself. Noah Syndergaard was just on Game of Thrones. He's getting paid. He could probably call any company up and say, "Hey, want me to endorse you guys?" Boom. Get a check. Noah you know Syndergaard, I mean? follower of the blog, so maybe yes, he'll he listen to this. Yes, he is. Well, Noah Syndergaard <laughs> is listening to this right now, is what we meant to say. No, but he actually does follow Sport Blog NYC. Again, that's at Sport Blog NYC on Twitter. And just to mention one more time, at JM Man Cave Sports on Instagram, hooked us up with a Jerry Rice Super Bowl 23 signed picture. So if you want that free picture, all you have to do is retweet this podcast at our Twitter, at Sport Blog NYC. So staying on Thor a little bit, but also going a little broader with the World Baseball Classic. We'll spend a couple minutes on this, just maybe three or four. So Noah Syndergaard said, nobody's ever won a World Series or made the Hall of Fame by playing in the World Baseball Classic. Pretty powerful statement, because a lot of countries really have great pride in the World Baseball Classic. Not so much for the United States. We've never won it, if I'm not mistaken. Am I mistaken? Yeah, I'm not mistaken. And it's not something that Americans really get that into, right? So my initial reaction was, you know what, Thor? Good for you. Good for saying that because a lot of people can get pressured to go into play that. If I was a coach or a GM, I would absolutely not want my pitcher in the World Baseball Classic. Position player, I can easily be swayed. Pitcher, absolutely not. What do you think, Joe Cal? This is a... Uh... <laughs> This is interesting because I kind of agree with you. I think for a hitter, it's very different because hitters gain whatever you want to say, momentum. They kind of get into the swing of things with by repetition. So obviously spring training is around. Sometimes position players don't necessarily play every single game. There's kind of a rotation, kind of getting the young guys involved, see you know who can make the team, who's not going to make the team, who are we going to send down to AAA at the beginning of the season. With the World Baseball Classic, not only, not only are you representing your country, but you're also those are also players, star caliber players, who are going to be guaranteed playing time through that short of, I, I honestly don't even know how long it is, but guaranteed playing time through that, that short amount of time. So... For a pitcher, it's risky because you don't want your pitchers getting hurt. You don't want your position players getting hurt either, but there's much less of a chance of your position players getting hurt as there is your pitchers. If Thor goes out there, starts the first game of the World Baseball Classic, and all of a sudden feels elbow soreness, uh-oh, all of a sudden Mets Nation, they're going <laughs> to... Right, you guys are going to kill yourselves. You're going to be like, why did Terry allow him to go? Why did he say? Why did he say no? And why granted, you probably shouldn't blame Terry on that. No, of course not. But it's also it's it it it's a combination of the organization's decision and a player's decision. Usually, it's the player that wants to do it, and it's the organization, the manager, your coaches that give you the blessing. Like, okay, you can do this. We'll give you that time to go wherever you know wherever the games are and to play. Look at Tanaka. Imagine Tanaka went for Japan. Every Yankee fan would be holding their breath every time that man pitched. Every pitch. Every pitch. You'd be scared. Every, I mean, every player on any team, but... I mean, with Tanaka... These, these, these players that, you know, are a time bomb in their arm, you can't wonder with you for 
it's a it's a nice tournament, but I think as Americans, you said it's not important to us. It's baseball is our sport, so we're not really looking to win a trophy for America. When we want our team to win the World Series trophy, it's priority there. So that's why I think we don't really take this very series as we used to. I think when it began, we had Jeter, we had A Rod, we had Griffey, but now we don't want. We'd rather. I mean, there 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 are some studs on the USA team this year. I they mean, are. They have they have a chance to win, in my opinion. Obviously, I don't follow the World Baseball Classic but do you care if they that win? in depth. No, I don't yeah, give I don't give care, a yeah. rip. The philosophies of a guy like Noah Syndergaard in comparison to a guy like Chris Archer are just like totally different right now. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's of course. Just, it's two different ways that aren't necessarily wrong of looking at the same situation. And uh, Joe, I heard you say if you saw Noah Syndergaard pitching for the USA and he got some soreness, some tightness, uh, you wouldn't be too happy. What, how do you feel about the situation? Oh, I feel just like you guys said. Like The World Baseball Classic means absolutely nothing to me. I want the Mets to win a World Series. I don't want my players getting hurt. And you did say there, was, there are some studs in it, but when you look at who potentially could be on this team, as far as guys like Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, Clayton Kershaw, Noah Syndergaard, we don't even have our best players in it. And I know some of these other teams, like I watched the Israel game yesterday. Jason Marquis, who hasn't pitched in two years, who I was just playing against the YMCA in, in basketball two weeks ago. <laughs> Staten Island, Jason Marquis. Literally playing against him in the YMCA two years ago. Let's get him on the podcast. You're telling me that, like, this is the best you've got? Like, Let me rattle off some names here. Chris Archer, uh, Michael Fulmer, interesting, rookie of the year. I don't know yeah. why he would be you know, risking anything like that. Uh, Dan Duffy, J.A. Happ, Jake McGee, Nate Jones, Andrew Miller. Okay, he's a big name. Tanner I love Rook. that he's got a beard back. Sorry, Tanner, Tanner Rook, you know, great year last year. David Robinson, ex-Yankee. Strowman, young guy, young, young guy. Uh, position players, you got Luke Roy, Posey, Arnando, Crawford, Goldschmidt, Hosmer, Kinsler, Danny Murphy, Adam Jones, McCutcheon. He's already the biggest name in Chicago stand. So there's... there's who, who, he gets hurt too. There's some talent there on yeah. the USA squad. I mean, especially amongst the position players. But that really goes to show our point. You know, if I'm Terry Collins, to use Noah Syndergaard as an example, and Noah Syndergaard doesn't come out with what he said and instead says, you know, Terry, I would really like to go pitch in the World Baseball Classic. I'm not telling him no, but I'm telling him straight up, I'm not happy about it. Well, Terry Francona did that with Andrew Miller. He actually said, you know, I'm happy Andrew's going, but I'd be lying to you if we said we're not holding our breath every time he takes that mound. And especially with how much he worked in the postseason. He was out there throwing multiple innings every single time he was out there in high leverage situations. I don't blame Terry Francona for saying that. And I know the Cubs have international guys, but I did not need one Cub on that team. No Chris Bryant, no Rizzo. They're probably too no tired from the audience, yeah, though. Like, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they won the World Series again, so this is nothing to them. Eh. Last words, Joe Cal? Yeah, I look at the World Baseball Classic as just an extension, a couple of more exhibition games. Right. And we could we could look at this throughout all, you know, all across sports. Exhibition games have become slowly more meaningless. Entertainment. Right. Entertainment. It's becoming just a pure... You know, it's MLB All-Star Game, NBA All-Star Game, like every single All-Star Game. It doesn't mean anything anymore. These side games, they don't mean anything anymore. We, we treat our sports here in the United States very differently than the world treats their sports. Like, the world sport is obviously soccer, so the World Cup means something because it is with great pride, every single country feels like they could be represented. We, we couldn't care less, right? We have our four major sports, and we believe we do them better than every, everybody else. The leagues here are the best in the world, 
and we don't need to prove ourselves on the world stage when it comes to baseball. Basketball, we're winning the gold medal every four years in the summer games at the Olympics. That's, you know, that's irrelevant. Hockey's a little bit different because there's probably five or six hockey-centric countries in the world. Maybe we don't do it as good as Canada, but a majority of the (laughs) National Hockey League teams reside in the United States. So uh, exhibition games are just becoming increasingly more meaningless to us. We don't really care for them too much. For the players, it's nice because some players do take pride in it and it's great. Especially ones who do play their sport in America but come from other countries. So for them to go back and represent their country for once instead of just a random team that they, you know, ended up on in America, it's probably really nice for them. But in... For, for players who in Japan, they love this. South Korea, they love DR. it. DR. The Dominican... I was just going to say the Dominican Republic, love it. And their staff. Especially even guys like the Netherlands. Like, the Netherlands won their first game uh, today. And if you look on Instagram, you look on Twitter, they're getting into it. So, it gets I agree. Some, it gets them some exposure also. It does. It some, does. Some scouts looking out. So, I mean, for those guys, I think it's a, a lot bigger, as you said. That's a good point. That's a good point. And in the egocentric world that is America, we probably think, and I'll speak for America right now, I guess. I don't know if I'm allowed to do that, but I'm doing it anyway. We kind of think that our major sports championships are as big as any world tournament. We call the winner of the World Series. It's called the World Series. It's literally called the World, <laughs> the world Series. Series. We call them the baseball champions of the world, the NBA finals, the, ba- the basketball champions of the world. Obviously, the NFL is not even touched in any other country. But, you know, that's how Americans kind of look at things. It's a little sad, but it is what it is. And the money is in the leagues, not in the world tournaments. Sad. Sad. (laughs) But we're going to move on. And uh, just to remind you guys as well, we had a podcast come out just yesterday called the Corner Unplugged Podcast. And they got really deep into the draft combine, in which direction the Jets should go, the Giants should go some of the best performances of the Combine, and really the the draft in general. So check that out as well. That's on our iTunes station. Subscribe to that. Leave us a rating, a little review, and we'll greatly appreciate it. But I want to talk about two wide receivers that can possibly both fit at MetLife Stadium. But it's not specific to those guys, but it's specific, not specific to those two teams, but specific to those two guys. So on one hand, we have Brandon Cooks. The other hand, we have Alshon Jeffrey. So Brandon Cooks, it seems like we might need to trade a first-round pick to get him. Alshon Jeffrey, on the other hand, is a free agent. Now, who do you guys think is the better deal? The first-round pick for Brandon Cooks or the free agent signing of Alshon Jeffrey? Well, I think, obviously, it matters the scheme that these teams are going, uh, the teams are going to. But Brandon Cooks is every speedy receiver, and Jeffrey's more of an outside guy. If you get Cooks to New England... You would think it's hand in glove, right? But if you look at Bill Belichick, he never, never ever values his receivers very highly. He never drafts the receivers in the first round. So to get him to tr- uh, trade his 32nd pick for Brendan Cooks. In the, in the fantasy world that we live in, fantasy sports, oh, yeah, Brendan Cooks to the Patriots. But the Belichick is not giving away a first round pick for him. So I want to just, I don't think that's going to happen. The Eagles, maybe, they're looking for somebody big. But now Brendan Cooks is going to be a free agent next year. So you're going to have to pay the man. So right, cost effective, so you have to receive like Mike Williams or Ross. In the first round, maybe cheaper to to shell out a first round pick for Brandon Cooks. Who might, who could leave next year? And also, but maybe you want Brandon Cooks for a one year rental. But then, is that worth the first that, round? It's pick? not worth the first round pick. So that's your opinion, Phil. Joe yeah. Stallback, let's go to you. Oh well, I think it's the team. I think it depends on the team that's going to do it. I so mean, use the Giants or Jets, for example. Well, for the Jets, it would make absolutely no sense. I mean, the Jets need to. I actually think they should move back from the sixth pick. I think they just need to stockpile draft picks. You have to rebuild that roster totally. Uh, the Giants, I think they have bigger needs than wide receiver. 
But then you look at a team like Tennessee, who has two first-round picks and really needs a wide receiver for Marcus Mariota. I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Philadelphia as well, like they said. Um, I think that makes a ton of sense for Philadelphia if they want to do that. But um, I think it all depends on the scheme and the fit. Um, as far as Alshon Jeffrey goes, he's a big wide receiver, but he is always constantly hurt, whether it's a nagging calf or the hamstring. He's a tough guy to rely on, but when he's out there, he's probably a top-ten receiver. On the field, who's more productive, Brandon Cook or Alshon Jeffrey? <laughs> We both had an advantage. If they're both healthy, I'll take Alshon Jeffrey. Yeah? Yeah. Are taking injury history into effect. Disregard the first-round pick, Brandon Cooks or Alshon Jeffrey? Alshon Jeffrey. Wow. All right. It's preference at that point. Who do you like? The fast guy who go go play anywhere in the field of Jeffrey, go go up and get it kind of guy. It's really who you like better. And it's also so tough because you think about their last season, right? So what have you done for me lately? Brandon Cooks had Drew Brees at the helm. Mm. Alshon Jeffrey was playing with sometimes Jay Cutler, sometimes Matt Barkley. Matt Barkley, and even when Jay Cutler was playing, he was banged up. Or he so was suspended. Yeah, or he was suspended. <laughs> Joe Calabrese, you got any differing opinions on this one? Well, from first of all, from what I've been hearing, New England really, really, really wants Brandon Cooks. They are going after a receiver, probably the hardest since they went after Welker and Randy Moss right before they went. Uh, had that undefeated season in 2007. And I, I, I honestly think Brandon Cooks would be an excellent fit in New England. He's a very underneath guy, very good at running the 5- to 10-yard routes, very good at making explosive plays, turning plays that are virtually nothing into something. Uh, but like Phil and Joe said, it's apples and oranges. They're two literally different types of players. Alshon, you throw on the, the outside, he's an X receiver. Tell him to run down the field, go get it. Brandon Cooks, he's going to run all the underneath stuff. I kind of like Cooks more as a player, but I don't know if I would trade a first-round pick for him. Now, here's how I feel about this. Cooks himself was taken with the 20th overall pick. So if you're in New England and you have the the 32nd pick, the last pick in the first round, and you go up to New Orleans and you offer that pick for Cooks, obviously you're going to deny it. I mean, why are you going to offer me a, a, a draft slot 12 picks later than where I originally got Cooks? Now, granted, that's not Cooks extended. With a contract extension, it's very, very different. But one would assume if you're trading for Brandon Cooks, you're going to get the contract extension done. So for a team like Tennessee, Tennessee is in a very interesting spot because they have two first-round picks. They could easily trade their later of their two first-round picks and go after Brandon Cooks, or they could say to themselves, you know something, let's stockpile defense in the draft, let's go out and get Alshon Jeffrey in free agency. My big problem with Jeffrey in free agency is how many free agent wide receivers in the last five to ten years have really panned out for the teams that signed him? There's really not many off the top of your head. Usually the receivers that end up becoming elite, being great, are are, uh, players that were drafted into a situation and stay there over time, over a 10-year span. They don't, they don't hit their open market. If you think right. about the... If a wide receiver hits the open market, chances are there were red flags back where he used to be. With Jeffrey, that's the, the health concerns. That is staying on the field. Let's think uh, about some of those names. Now, you didn't say the names, but let's think about some of those people that fit that mold that you just talked about. Some really talented players, but people who you know, may have rumors to say be not great locker room guys who don't give max effort who don't buy into a system, right? People who kind of bring off-the-field issues. Extremely talented, ready? Chad Ochocinco, 
bouncing around team after team after his, his tenure with the Bengals. Terrell Owens, after his first tenure with the Niners, Eagles, Cowboys. Bengals. Bengals, there you mm-hmm. go. Randy Moss, who is probably the, one of the best receivers of all time, if not the best Definitely. receiver of all time. After the Vikings, you know, was bouncing around. Greg Brandon, Brandon Marshall. Why about the ask you, Joe? you're here right now. Can you think of a scenario where the Patriots trade for Cooks and sign Marshall to a, a reduced contract? I don't know. If, so they're signing out Marshall, Elamine, Gronk, Cooks. Brandon Marshall and the Patriots don't go in the same sentence. Yeah, I don't. I, Not theoretically, at all. I think Brandon Marshall to the Patriots is perfect. But in Madden. Like, right, in Madden. Madden. Yeah. But logistically, in real life, it just it doesn't work. That's not how they Cooks is Cooks is more of a guy that they would go after. He's like, they, they want more locker room. He's a space guy, guys. too. Right. They want to get guys in open space. That's what they do with the little guys like Edelman and Amendola. And I think Cooks in open space is very dangerous on that team. And Tom Brady does not need any more weapons. Um, Tom Brady probably would argue with that one. Well, I'm going to give you a really good uh, comparison to what I think the Jeffrey situation is now. I don't think this guy is – I think Jeffrey is way more talented than this guy was. But a couple of years ago, there was a season in Minnesota with when Favre came back and he turned Sidney Rice into a 1,200-yard receiver. And all of a sudden, he hit the open market. He was this big yes. stud. Yeah. Everybody thought he was going to be a star receiver. He went to Seattle and he flamed out. Definitely. And I've, I think over the years, we've seen more situations where – a big, not necessarily huge name receiver, but a really talented guy ended up hitting the market, got the money, and then failed to live up to expectations with his new team. So I think with Jeffrey, you're getting a mixed bag, which scares the the crap out of me. With Cooks, I think whether you're trading a second rounder and a conditional pick that could turn into a first rounder, or you're trading a first rounder straight up for him, I honestly think he's the safer of the, the two acquisitions. Real quick, uh, we'll talk about Brandon Marshall later in another podcast, but just real quick, I'm going to go around the room. Giants fit, yes or no? Do you think it works? For Brandon Marshall? Brandon Marshall, to the Giants. I'll give it a 70% success rate. That would, it would work. There's some backlash, but more or less it'll be good, as yeah. long as the price is right. Okay. I'm saying he takes less money, does all that, I want to win, I want to win. I'll I want to t- stay in New York. I'll take him. Does Brandon Marshall work with the Giants? Um... I think it could work. I think there's just better fits around the league for him. And I think he'll find a place somewhere else. I think Baltimore is Baltimore, where he's yeah. going to end up. Okay. I think Baltimore is where he's going to yeah. end up, too. You stole my thunder. <laughs> uh, I think he works as a Giant, too. I think it's decent. I think, I think he's going to end up either on the Giants or the Ravens. Sneaky dark horse team would be the Eagles, but I, I, I nah, can't yeah. see that. I, I see them going more after, like, a, Jeff, a Jeffrey or a Cooks or two big, a younger receiver. Two big mounts in one locker room, Odell and Marshall. Ooh, uh, that, it causes Poor Eli. Eli quiet the things. Imagine one each side. Uh, yeah, right? I want the ball. No, I want the ball. Yeah. Sterling Shepard just gets caught in the middle. Don't want to. Actually, you know what? Maybe I'm going to change yeah, See, I don't think they'll say I want the ball, like, publicly or to them. I just, they, have, they want the ball. They want to win. It's a weird dynamic. Very weird. Yes. Odell, I think Odell's a decent teammate. I think Brandon Marshall says all the right things, but I think inside, these guys are the best players, best receivers in the league. So if if you hear guys from the Giants locker room, whether they be beat reporters or players who were willing to speak out, everybody in that locker room respects Odell Beckham yeah. because they say the one thing you can't take away from Odell Beckham is that he brings it to practice every single day. And you know what? If a player's bringing it to the practice field, there's not too much you can criticize about him. Say what you want about the boat, this or that. If he's working his ass off, that should be good enough for his teammates. It should be good enough for you. Paying off. We see it every Sunday. 
There you go. All right, well, that's good stuff on the NFL. Touched on Brandon Cooks, Alshon Jeffrey. And I just want to tease out a subject and a future podcast. So, obviously, the NCAA tournament is right around the corner. We have Selection Sunday coming up before we know it, literally this weekend. And we're not going to get too deep into it because we're going a little long and we really got to get into this MVP debate, which is super, super fun right now. But, Joe, both Joes in the room right now, Joe Calabrese and Joe Stahlbeck, huge NCAA guys. Give me one thing that fans of the show need to look out for before Sunday. 30, 30 seconds. This year is the most deepest field that I've ever seen in a long time. There are a lot of mid-majors that are going to shock people in the coming weeks. And over the last couple of years, we've seen a team, a 7-seeded UConn team, a 7-seeded Michigan State team, a 10-seeded Syracuse team, a 9-seeded Wichita State team. These teams have been able to make the Final Four. It's going to happen again this year. I totally agree. I think you're going to have another mid-major in the Final Four this year. I think you're going to have, whether it be a six seed or even a nine seed, and I think Gonzaga's going to go down very, very early. In the I season. agree with that, but we, we have to get well, into that next week. We'll, we'll touch on it. You, gotta, you better stay tuned. for We're these, perfecting the teeth. We're trying to perfect it. These two are chopping at the bit for Selection Sunday to go down, and then you know a day or two after that, we're going to have all our eggs in a basket. Not the same basket, in a bunch of baskets. We're going to tell you everything you need to know about the bracket, about what teams to watch, what players to watch. And that's going to come to you post-election Sunday next week. So stay tuned for One that. One more quick thing. Uh, Mount St. Mary's defeated St. Francis PA 71-61. For Joe, congratulations nice. to Alma Mater. Thank You're you. officially going to the tournament. Thank you very much. Oh, yeah? Good for you. Congratulations. Some breaking news on the pod, too. Except, you know, you're probably listening to this on Wednesday morning, so you might know that already. Uh, but now, let's get into a very, very fun debate. But before we do, don't forget that this podcast is now on iTunes. So subscribe to our channel. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a rating and a review. It goes a long way for us. And the better you leave a review for us, the more stuff we can bring to you. So thank you for listening, and please leave a rating and review and subscribe to our iTunes channel. All right, the MVP debate. I'm going to set the scene real quick. We got four guys. Let's be real. It's just four. Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James. Isaiah Thomas, I'm sorry. You're doing great this year. You're not in the picture. Nobody else is even close. It's those four guys. Is that fair? Yes. So yep. we ran a poll on our Twitter. We got 910 votes. Who, That's good. pretty good. We said if you had a vote, who would you uh, vote for? Westbrook, Harden, Ka- Kawhi, LeBron. Westbrook, 43%. Kawhi and LeBron both at 21. And Harden's at 15. How did that sound to you? I'm, I'm angry. I don't know. If someone else wants to yeah. go first... Uh, I could go now. I could just I could harp on on that one. I must say I think you could make a case for all four of them. That's why it makes it so interesting. Yes. I mean Westbrook is more the more flashy pick. He's the more. I always I always reference this to fantasy whether we live in triple double this and that. But his team isn't isn't winning. Like they're they're in the playoffs, but they're not the Spurs, they're not the Cavs, they're not the Rockets. So I feel like from stats wise, you all Westbrook should be MVP. He's making history. But in my opinion. What Westbrook is doing right now is like, oh, LeBron and Durant can score 50 a night. They really could. Well, Westbrook is doing that. Westbrook is going to try to score 50 a night, and that's all his agenda is right now. So if you want to make a case for LeBron and Kawhi, Pete, go ahead. All right. So I'm going to break it down like this. First off, the actual award is screwed up. So it's called the most valuable player, and what that term means is the person that means the most to that team Mm -hmm. amongst the whole league. It is not called the most outstanding player award. 
If you want, make two awards. Russell Westbrook has been the most outstanding player this year. His energy is ridiculous. It's unbelievable how often he gives maximum effort. Uh, he obviously is breaking the world right now with triple-doubles. He's averaging a triple-double, which hasn't happened since Oscar Robinson. And this day and age, even though there's more triple-doubles than ever, what Russell Westbrook is doing now is more impressive than what Oscar Robinson did back then. I don't care what you old-time basketball players have to say. That being said, Russell Westbrook is not the most valuable player in the league. Efficiency and plus-minus go strongly against Russell Westbrook. And this is a really convoluted idea that I have that I say a lot about Russell Westbrook and Chris Paul. He gets selfish assists, yep. and that doesn't make sense if you just hear the two words together. Like Rondo. Rondo used to do that too. Rondo used to do it as well. If you hold the ball all game and basically only allow your teammates to shoot when you give them the ball, speak when spoken to, <laughs> you're not going to allow them to play at their best level. The reason why I put James Harden above Russell Westbrook, and I'm not saying he's my pick yet, not saying he's my pick yet, James Harden's above Russell Westbrook, because he allows Eric Gordon to make plays. Now that Lou Williams is there, he's allowing to Lou, allowing Lou Williams to be Lou Williams. Ryan Anderson is having one of the best years of his career by far. Clint Capella looks like a real NBA player for the first year in his career. That is because James Harden moves the ball, bought into a system that allows everybody to play at their best, and he is 10 times more efficient. He scores from inside the paint, behind the three-point line, and at the free-throw line. The three most efficient places to score in the NBA – and granted, he's averaging over 10 assists a game. And what does he average? Eight rebounds? Granted, he has less triple-doubles than, than Westbrook. I don't really care about triple-doubles. They don't mean anything to me after the way this year has gone. There's more triple-doubles in this NBA season than there's been in the history of the NBA. And we got 20 games left. Triple-doubles don't mean nothing. That's not why he should win an MVP. James Harden above, is above him. And I honestly think Kawhi Leonard is right there. And how can you count out LeBron James? But I've just been going in for a minute. So somebody else take the cake right I'm now. Joe, talking about the bit right now, just doing a third thing in the atmosphere. Steve Nash, when he won MVP, he averaged 15 and 11 and 18 and 10 in Mike D'Antoni's system. Now, you see Harden putting up 29 and 11. Just, I think it's Harden. I think Harden's my pick. Well, that's your pick. I didn't say my pick yet. I will say it in a minute, but I, I, that's a great point. Phenomenal point. Uh, Pete, I couldn't agree with you anymore. I think everything you said is spot on. There should be two awards. I think uh, Rachel Nichols was actually talking about this the other day as well. Outstanding player and most valuable player are two different things. I think everything you said about triple-doubles, yeah, they're cool, they're awesome, but you can't tell me that Russell Westbrook wouldn't want to trade all those triple-doubles in for wins right now. For 10, 15 more exactly. wins? He would. He would. That's the problem. Most definitely, because right now they're a seventh seed, and he's going to play the Spurs in the first round, and he doesn't want that. He wants to go back to 10, 15 wins when he had Durant on his team, when they were the second seed or the third seed. So he'd trade that all that in for in a second. Um, James Harden, I think, would be my pick, personally. Um, I just think, like Phil said, what he's done is just unbelievable. He's totally bought into that system. He doesn't assist hunt, like you said, what, with Westbrook. He makes the right play. He, he makes the right play. He gets to the free throw line. He hits big shots. I just think, you know, everything he's done this year has been incredible. The, the Houston Rockets were an eight seed last year. They were 41 and 41. And, uh, you know, right now they're the two seed or the three seed out west. I mean, it's just really impressive. And Mike D'Antoni got, got a bad rap with the Knicks and the Lakers. But, I mean, he's turned that team around quickly. Is he coach of the year? Oh, that is a tough one. Mike D'Antoni is definitely up there for He's Coach of the Year. I think Quinn Snyder deserves so much credit. Snyder. Shout out to the Utah Jazz. Boy, I wore my great. Utah Jazz hat yeah, tonight. Yeah, see that. He actually has a Utah Jazz hat on right now. That's that true story right there. Not fake news. <laughs> Not fake news. I would throw Scott Brooks in there as well with the Wizards. I mean, yeah. They're like 
Trump they, had to bet at the two seed in the East. I mean, they uh, they did not year. have a good start either. Right. They really, really struggled coming out like, of the gate their first 30 games or so. It's just like LeBron with MVP, you give the Popovich MVP. I was just going to say, like, you, right. you give it to Brady. Just, just for the record, yeah. LeBron, LeBron James is still the best yeah. player in the world, in my opinion. And you know, everybody says that. You hear that all the time. You listen to ESPN, NBA TV, everyone always makes a disclaimer. Oh, okay. My pick is James Harden, or my pick is Russell but, Westbrook. That's why we need two awards. <laughs> but, but LeBron James is, you know, he's still the best player in the NBA. So, so in the finals, Steph Curry, back-to-back MVP. LeBron owned that series. And I, I have a, a statement to make about Steph Curry being the MVP, but I'm going to go to Joe Calabrese first because he's ready to go with something right I'm now. I'm ready to go. What do you got for me? And then I'm going to hop back to a point I, about uh, Steph Curry. I'm going to give Kawhi some love. I, I think the one thing that was missing from his game was I the offense? I think he was good at getting to the rim. wasn't necessarily good at getting to his own shot, creating his own shot. And he was always an efficient three pointer, especially from the corners. But he was always better as the secondary piece on the offense. Now for the Spurs, he's running the offense, and the fact that they're as good as they are right now is absolutely no fluke. And he fits that system to a T. Fits it like a glove. The Spurs, back even to his draft year when they traded up to get him, knew what they were getting with him. Knew how raw he was, but knew how he could be molded into this exceptional player. And a lot of people might forget Kawhi Leonard, youngest NBA Finals MVP in history. Is that not correct? Wow, that, that is a fun that? fact that people remember, do forget. I'm pretty sure people forget that. So the fact that we're talking about Kawhi emerging on the MVP stage as of right now kind of feels a little bit late. Kind of feels like we've been underappreciating him for a long time, doesn't it? I agree. I mean, he's already won back-to-back Defensive Players of the Year. He is... I've been watching the Spurs a lot lately because they've been on national TV a lot lately. He is truly a treasure to watch. And here's what I love about Kawhi the most. He's so good, I think he he could literally score 50 points a game on his own. And I think he could do it in ways like Harden and Westbrook are, uh, they're very much scorers. They're very much jump shooters. They're facilitators. I think Kawhi can do it all and dominate any position one to five on his own. I think he can go against, he can go against the point guard and dominate. I think he can go against centers and dominate. That's how good I think he is. So I think a lot of the, the MVP love this year goes back to Westbrook and Harden. And in the preseason, I was a huge Westbrook guy. Phil and Joe could yes, really right. attest to this fact that I was, I'm still 100%, I'm like Team Russ all the way. Like there's nothing that I want to see more than the Thunder trades at the deadline to, to work out for them and maybe they can win a round or two in the postseason, maybe even go up against the Warriors and get that rematch that everyone's chomping at the bit for. But I was a Westbrook guy, I'm a Harden guy, I'm still a Westbrook guy, I'm still a Harden guy, but I've just seen Kawhi play this season out as and as of right now he's just there's nobody imp- who impresses me more and i and i've made this point before and i this is a really really scorching earth shattering hot take wow i like i think he's better than kevin durant like i would take wow. Kawhi before kevin durant 100 percent. and i think it's the, the the improvements that he's made in his offensive game before the season would have been nuts i would i would have said you're an idiot for taking him before durant now i think not only the argument is acceptable I think if you take Kawhi before Durant, you're not wrong. That is that I that is Joe, that is a Joe's serious. looking at me like, oh boy, that's a serious take by one Joe Calabrese right there. Oh, wait, mean, he has the the backing 
Leonard is awesome, but Durant, I like, think talent wise, Durant's the second most talented player in the league. It's him, LeBron, than him. Just pure talent. So you got to get into what they do for their team, maybe. I mean, that's what you're alluding to. Kawhi plays better defense. Well, let's, Kawhi, let's be I real here. Team player, uh, yeah. We've seldom seen Kevin Durant have his own team. I mean, granted, he was the guy in Oklahoma City for the, all those years, but he had Harden and Russ when they went to the when they went to the finals. After Harden left, he had a basically a star in Russ next to him the whole time. We've now seen Kawhi Leonard this season have you know an older, still talented and effective Lamarcus Aldridge. And he's a great, he's a great coach, the best coach in the league. Yeah, and the best coach system. So like, best. who do you take the better players Durant had, or just the overall culture and system that That's Kawhi true. has? In Here's a stat for you, and then I'm going to let Joe Staubach step in because I know he has something to say. Kawhi Leonard has the second highest usage in Spurs history, behind Tony Parker a few years back when he was literally the, basically the only point guard uh, running the show there, and he was just facilitating for everybody. Kawhi Leonard has the second highest usage, and he's a small forward. Which goes to what I was saying before: you can put him against any other position on the floor. Chances are he's going to be able to not only hold his own but dominate against anybody. We've we've gone from the Spurs running their offense to a lot of motion plays, a lot of plays like Parker, Ginobili, those guys are getting old now. Now we're, we're looking at Danny Green shooting threes. We're looking at Patty Mills bringing energy off the bench. Their predominant source of offense is coming straight from Kawhi. Don't forget about facilitator extraordinaire, Boris Dia. <laughs> Don't forget about the big dude. I have a feeling Joe wants, <laughs> I have a feeling Joe wants to yell at me. Right no, now. no, I'm not going to get into the Kevin Durant versus Kawhi Leonard thing. I just want to – you touched on a point before about Leonard not getting the love. I think a lot of it has to do with his persona. Uh, he's not out there hitting a three and then pumping his chest every time or he doesn't have the crazy beard. He just goes out there, does his job, doesn't say much, hardly has any facial expressions, and he just gets on, moves on to the next day, next game. I mean, as of someone who watches the NBA, I think what he does in this day of age where guys are, you know, so me, 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 is absolutely awesome. Exactly. There's no stirring. There's nothing. You got James Harden cooking every time he hits a three. You know, you got Melo three to the head every time. Uh, now that's a really good point. And so who's th- your pick again? I'm going to get into that right okay, now. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to get into that right now. This is what I'm going to – before I get into my pick, I'm going to say one more thing. I was listening to Jalen and Jacoby earlier, and uh, Jacoby brought up a really good point. He said that everybody was like waiting – not specifically waiting, but once it happened, it seemed like we're waiting for Kawhi Leonard to have a signature MVP moment. And just last night or two nights ago now – he had that. So I actually have NBA League Pass, which is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Turn on the Houston Rockets versus the Spurs while I was doing some work with about four minutes left in the fourth quarter. I'm not really paying attention. I'm not really paying attention. minute and a half left. I'm like, wow, this game's close. i got to pay attention. Kawhi Leonard, if you haven't seen it yet, brings up the ball, runs a high pick and roll, sharp cut with Nene, who's a true seven-footer, basically in his grill, up in the air, pure three-pointer, bang, Spurs go up with the lead. And then James Harden, one of the other MVP candidates, comes down the ball, uh, runs his pick-and-roll thing with about 15 seconds left, catches Kawhi Leonard into screen, does his little fancy Euro step to the hoop, throws up the left-handed layup, and Kawhi Leonard chased down and pins it against the backboard to seal the game. The sad part is that (laughs) the way we live today with social media, if you go into Instagram and you follow NBA accounts, you saw Will Cauley-Stein miss a dunk more than you saw Kawhi Leonard Hit a three to go ahead and block the game-winning shot in 13 seconds. That's a story for done a day how social media just ruined everything. 100%. So I'm not going to get into that any further. So what I wanted to mention before I make my pick is someone said before, I forget who said it, just last year, 
Steph Curry became the first ever unanimous MVP in NBA history. While doing back-to-back. In back-to-back. Yeah, he wasn't unanimous two years, but in his second year of back-to-back MVPs, he became unanimous. Was that, you know, was it, did he deserve it? That's an argument for a different day. He got it, though. So that is putting NBA MVP voters on notice. And I think that's going to make an extremely interesting run for the MVP for all four of these guys. My opinion, I don't have a vote, obviously, is this. James Harden and Kawhi Leonard both score, you know, just about 30 points a game, we'll say. They're both huge parts of their team's offensive games and a huge part of the team culture in general. The difference is Kawhi Leonard averages three assists. James Harden averages over 10. 11. Kawhi Leonard is a great defender. James Harden is not. But he's improving. He's improving. Defense is more of a team aspect than an individual aspect. So whether or not Kawhi Leonard is a phenomenal defensive player, defensive player of the year, possibly for the third year in a row, I'm giving my MVP vote to James Harden for what he does facilitating the entire offense for one of the most potent offenses in the league because defense is more of a team battle. So James Harden versus Kawhi Leonard defense. Obviously Kawhi Leonard wins, but James Harden's facilitation pushes him just above Kawhi Leonard, in my opinion. So my vote goes James Harden 1, Kawhi Leonard 2, LeBron James 3, Russell Westbrook 4. Wow, Westbrook 4. Westbrook 4. I'm over the triple-double stuff. Oh, boy. I'm over it. You wrote about triple-doubles like two months ago. I wrote an article about triple-doubles because they're fascinating and they're impressive and I think they're awesome. And I don't even think Russell Westbrook wants to get these triple-doubles. No, I think he does. I mean, (laughs) I've heard him talk about it when he gets asked and he's just like, all right, stop asking me about this. I don't want to talk about it. Granted, he probably wants it. I'm not telling him to not try to get him. He needs to defer to his teammates because when he gives Victor Oladipo that shot in the end of a game, he is not comfortable because he hasn't done anything other than spot up shoot or cut without the ball. You need to allow Victor Oladipo to handle the ball a little bit. Mm -hmm. They got rid of Cameron Payne. I thought that was dumb because Cameron Payne can play a little backup point guard. Russell Westbrook doesn't trust his teammates enough to the point where he only allows them to have open shots and open dunks, which he's great at getting them. Can't take that away Polar from Polar opposite of James Harden. Polar opposite of James Harden. James Harden is, seems very cool with the hockey assist, mm-hmm. which also is like a Steph Curry feature. Right. He's, ma- he's making his teammates better, James Harden. And that's why James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron, Russell Westbrook, four. Boom. Hard to, hard to disagree with that. I mean, Harden with a 3-1, right? Harden, 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 Kawhi? I'm Kawhi. Yeah, so I'm a big quiet. So that's crazy. No Russ. No Russ. Russ. But, I mean, clearly, no if, you, if you've listened to this podcast, we may kind of go against the majority of people because, like I mentioned before on the podcast, we do happen to surround ourselves with smarter sports fans. We, so boil, we, we boil it down. We, we explain why we think this way. 100%. Just, and we don't look at just the Instagram highlights of Russell Westbrook, you know, getting five offensive rebounds in a row because he's just working ten times harder than everybody else. Deserves a ton of credit, but that's not what wins games. Every every night for every play. You know what I mean? And that's just my opinion. You guys had yours. We have three for Harden, one for Kawhi, but nine, oh, probably like a thousand votes now yeah. uh, since we uh, talked about it. A thousand votes on at Sportblog NYC Twitter poll said 40% Russell Westbrook. So it's going to be very interesting. This MVP debate. Harden came in last. It was 15%. Wow. So we're not only the minority, we're. Uh, Totally against totally the poll. Against it, yeah. Any last words on the MVP race before we move on to one last topic topic for two minutes? I think we wrapped it up. I think. What's next? Yeah. 
That's it. I'm I'm done. <laughs> that one took. <laughs> I a, made my point. That there. one took a lot. Yeah. I like. I got. I got into that one. I, I burn, burns me up on the inside a little bit. But the last thing we're gonna talk about, we're gonna end up right about an hour. So we have like four minutes left. So let's make this one move quick. So I want to set the scene real quick. Uh, let's do about thirty seconds to a minute each of us. Phil, we'll start with you. Would you rather be the Lakers or would you rather be the Knicks right now? Go. Um, definitely the Lakers. One, you have Magic Johnson running the show, which I don't think Magic Johnson is, you know, breaking down film and breaking down these guys in the draft, but he's going to get the big things to come to L.A. You have better pieces. D'Angelo Russell is a great player. He's going to be a great player. Ingram is a work, but he's he has talent there. Randall's good. They're going to have cap room. Knicks, on the polar opposite, Phil Jackson cannot treat his star play as well. There's been drama all season. We can't find a point guard in 10 years. Like, it's, it's better to be L.A. I might live in L.A. too. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Staubach? Oh, obviously I'm going to go with the Lakers. I mean, it's not, it's not just as a Nick hater, but, I mean, the Lakers haven't been that bad for that long. They won a championship in 2010 with Kobe. Um, the Knicks haven't been good for 40 years. They haven't won a championship in 40 years. I mean, come on. I mean, the Lakers, they're in a little bit of a rut right now, but it's not like they've been bad for 20-something years like the Knicks have. The Lakers will come out of this. Magic Johnson will get things together. There's already rumors about Paul George and whatnot. I think the Lakers will be fine. They just need uh, – Magic will need a little time, but they'll be fine. Lakers are the cycle of the NBA. You have, you have a star player for 20 years. you got you got to give up a little bit. Unless you're the Spurs, you can't just – Well, yeah. no, You not, can't just reboot. Not man. everyone's the Spurs. Yeah. Joe Calabrese. I'd rather be the Knicks. Oh. Kidding. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you got me there. You really got me. I'm not going to lie. I, 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 I knew I was going to get you. I what I will say is that the Knicks, they can go a lot of different ways. They have a legitimate all-star building block in Chris Stapps. Yeah, we didn't say that. And, you didn't let me go yet. And <laughs> the truth of the matter is is that he's so he's still so raw, and he has the potential to be so good. He could be a 10 to 15-time all-star if his health, if everything cooperates with him. I don't think the Lakers necessarily have that. I think Russell's a very good player. I think Ingram's a very good player. I think Randall's a very good player. I don't know if they're necessarily on the level that Porzingis is at. So the Knicks have the piece that you need. The Lakers don't necessarily have the piece, but I think everything else is going, trending the Lakers' way. I happen to think Luke Walton is actually a very good head coach. Mm-hmm. I think within, within a couple of years, he's going to in, install what... Kerr has done with the Warriors and get them playing efficient basketball. Um, both teams have bad contracts. The Noah contract is atrocious. Oh. Might be the worst contract well, you gotta in basketball. Bring that up. Well, you got to bring that up. But the Lakers have Luol oh. Dang and Timothy Mosgall. Fair. So Good point right there. That's why they fired. Both teams have their, their pros and their cons. We don't know how good Magic is going to be as an executive. Let's like let's be fair, and with the whole situation with Jeannie Buss and the what what has what has happened since the doctor passed away, there's there's a lot of problem trouble in paradise too in regards to who's actually running the show in L.A. We don't know, so let's say in, it, it, when Paul George becomes a free agent, he signs there and then he tears his ACL again. Now all of a sudden, who do you want to be? The Lakers or the Knicks? I th- I would still rather be the Lakers right now, but I'm gonna stay optimistic with the Knicks because I think. Under the right circumstances, maybe it's not as far apart as we think, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the one point I really like, I, I'm a big Luke Walton guy. I'm all in on Luke Walton. 
Uh, but for the purpose of this exercise, I'm going to play devil's advocate, and I'm picking the Knicks, and I'm going to tell you why. So the Lakers have a first-round pick this year that is highly in question. So if they are not one of the three worst teams in the league, which they might be, but they also very well might not be, that pick is going elsewhere. It ain't theirs. I believe it's going to Philly. Philadelphia. So the Philadelphia 76ers could end up with the Lakers pick unless the, the Lakers are the worst three teams in the league. So the Lakers have more players that are relevant in the NBA than the Knicks do. They have D'Angelo Russell, Julius Randle, Brandon Ingram, Jordan Clarkson, all guys who are relevant and I think will be in this league for a very long time. But if they don't get that pick, which I don't think they will, because I think they're going to win some games with D'Angelo Russell, Brandon Ingram, that crew. The Knicks have their pick this year. And like you mentioned, have the best player moving forward in Kristaps Porzingis. That's our pick. And the we Knicks have actually have their pick for once. So I'm going with the Knicks based off Kristaps Porzingis. Kristaps, we're guaranteed to have our pick this year. I say where. They are guaranteed to have their pick this year. And that's really about it. The rest of it's on a whim. I like Luke Lakers have the second worst record, actually. They do. They fell. They're 19 and 44. The Nets are Brooklyn Nets at 11 51. That doesn't matter. But yeah, the Lakers are 21 and 42. And then um, Philly and Orlando are both at 23 wins. So I, the Lakers did fall. They. Between good, good for them. They should. <laughs> Between the Knicks and the Nets, I'd rather be the Knicks. <laughs> Lakers have lost their last seven or two and eight in the last. 10. If the Lakers are going to do this, somebody, someone said, "Hey guys, it's not." <laughs> let's be, let's be real. It's going to come down to who tanks better this year. Is who I want to be. If the Lakers, Lakers take tank properly, Lakers hundred percent. If they get that top three pick, that's great. These are pockets for another day, but it's a, it's a point on heavy draft. Yeah. What do they? I don't know who they go. Joe, you're a college guy. If they're number two, they can go Jackson. They can go Jackson. Uh, Lonzo Ball, obviously. Yeah. Oh, if Lonzo Ball's there, hundred percent. Lonzo Ball's gonna be a Laker. That's crazy. One, two, three is gonna be Fultz, Ball, and John Jackson, right? One, two, three. Probably. Most yeah. likely, it's gonna be Fultz, Ball, Jackson. Yeah. This is that's another topic. I can't wait. I cannot wait. Months for that. Can't wait for the NBA draft podcast. Hopefully I, next we have. Oh, we have maybe uh, six, seven pick, a little higher. The Knicks? Right yeah. now we're like 11. I'm, I'm, that was a big... Them winning yesterday kind of screwed them, to be honest. Against the team that's right there. Yeah. Who's going to end up being f- yeah. like 4 or 5. That's until Adam Silver rigs the lottery yeah. and you the Knicks can't end be, up with the first uh, overall He throws pick. an envelope. You can't be more Knicks than that. Yeah. can't be more Knicks. That's hey, we true. started with... Hey, full circle. We started the Knicks with a Jeremy Lin, 19 days at the Knicks. So, we end with the Knicks... And that's it. That's what you do around here. So you heard it from the fa- one of the co-founders. We got two founders of Sports Blog New York. We got three founders of Sports Blog New York. Yeah. Okay, we got so three quarters in Mount Rushmore. Yeah. We got three out of four <laughs> Sports Blog New York founders. The other eating crawfish, Louisiana. I don't know if you probably not listening right now, but yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad to have you three here with with us tonight. That is, it was a great time tonight. No, I, I had a great time. Great job as always. For Pete Kennedy, Bill DeMeo. Joe Stavak, Joe Calabrese. This is the Sports Blog New York Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes, rating and review, the whole nine. We'll be back with more content real soon. Hopefully you enjoyed the show. Have a good one. La 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 where you at? Where you been? Where you going? Who you is? Who you are? What's up? Who you What's up, y'all? Who you are? Nice to know ya. It was nice to know ya. Niggas got Ebola. Get their ass a cold shoulder. Coke with the cold.